Bird Bites. Or, uh, <laughs> wait a minute. It. Did you I, open the wrong file? I got the us? wrong file. <laughs> right, here we go. To the, to the Habibis podcast. That's what it is. <laughs> Who also go. sometimes Yo. features Yo. Suhoor Bites. Yes. Right. Uh, it's it's almost Ramadan. Yeah, it's like two weeks from now, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Three game developers drinking good Arab tea. I'm your host for today, Fauzi Mesmar. And I'm Osama Dorias. And I'm Rami Swine. It's been so long since we uh, last did one of these, huh? <laughs> I mean, it, it, we recorded the live episode two days ago. We're recording this now. People won't hear this until like Friday. Yeah. So, yeah. so did, did we? Did anybody do a lot of things in the past forty-eight hours? <laughs> How much can you do in two days? Well, a bunch, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fair. I. I mean, I mostly played more flight simulator. Yeah. <laughs> I drove to um, another city to see my brother. He just bought a house and he had a big family get together. So, um, I mean, I did, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I mean, I did um, play Drink a little bit. Drink more tea, Osama. <laughs> I have it here right <laughs> next to me. <laughs> some honey in. <laughs> so, um, I did move the needle a little bit on death's door. I beat that boss that was giving me a hard time and I moved to the next one. So, that felt good. Uh, that game is 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 tough, but it, it feels fair. It feels like every time I beat a boss, I'm like, yep, okay, I figured out the uh, the pattern. Now I'm going to be able to do better for the next one, and the next one surprises you. So I'm happy about that. Uh, beyond that, yeah, two two days didn't have much time to do much else. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. But, uh, you mentioned that uh, you've been playing uh, flight simulator, Rami. Did you also yep. take uh, Osama on some flights, maybe? Not not in the last two days, but we have to no, set up another. We, we did we did fly a bunch of times. Yes, uh, but yeah, not yet. I'm I'm teaching Osama how to fly, basically. It, it's hard. <laughs> it's been fun. Yes, it's really fun, but it's actually much harder. Like you know that 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 uh, feeling you get when you start playing a game because we've been playing for so long that I should be able to do this. Um, I have that with Flight Simulator, but man, it's so frustrating when. When it's not working the way you intend and you really believe that you did every step of everything and then your plane crashes and you realize that you forgot one thing in the middle, but in Flight Simulator, that's like catastrophic. Right. <laughs> you forgot, forgot to press forgot, one button or... Forgot to turn on the autopilot. Yeah, that 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 that, that was one time, Ravi. Right. And you won't stop talking about it. No, it's it's just... not. <laughs> <It was> great. <laughs> but it's interesting because these airplanes are obviously their own interface, right? And they're highly specialized interfaces. They're made for people who really know how they work. And the, the basic interface is quite straightforward, right? You yeah. have your rudder, you've got your yoke, you've got your throttle. And then in some of them, you've got like fuel mix and other stuff. But like a basic airplane works very much like a, a car, only the pedals are not the, the accelerant, right? So you can technically kind of learn to fly an airplane mid-flight. Mm. right just the the basic stuff you would just very likely mess it up because you don't understand what forces you're you're sort of uh, dealing with because an airplane am i going to explain how an airplane works yeah like in short <laughs> okay so an airplane is on and because obviously there's gravity and air involved right a car stays on the ground so you can accelerate and you can decelerate and it doesn't really affect anything besides your speed on the right. y-axis unless you really right. messed up but <laughs> right then you then you know you should stay on the road and not go off the cliff um <laughs> pretty much in airplanes you're trying to balance a number of forces you're trying to balance gravity against speed and if you lower your speed and and then you have something called your attitude which is kind of like the way the airplane is pointing 
like up or down. Um, basically, the rule is that if you want to keep flying, you need to be flying in such a way that you're countering gravity as perfectly as possible, right? If you want to climb, you want to have more lift than there's gravity. If you want to descend, you want to make sure that you are losing uh, gra- you, you are losing the fight against gravity, just very controlled. And to do that, you have to balance the angle of your airplane, you have to balance the speed of your airplane, and you have to balance sort of like the, 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 the throttle, the amount of power that you're adding to the airplane. Mm-hmm. Which means that if you start descending, you actually gain speed. Right, so you actually have to if you wanna if you wanna descend, you have to point your airplane in such a way that you're descending, but make sure that it's not it's not gaining too much speed because then you die. It's bad. <laughs> uh, if you wanna climb, you wanna add speed. If you don't add speed or you can't add more power to the airplane, then you slow down and eventually you fall, which is also not great because you might die. Um and a lot of these things are recoverable, right? Like a stall is actually like something you practice for if you learn to fly airplanes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's scary if you don't know what's happening, right? And Osama stalled a lot. Oh, all the time. There was one flight where I was stalling nonstop. And when I stopped stalling, I was worried. I'm like, wait, what did I do right? How do I repeat this? It's it's not as easy. That That's the time he took me to Mount Everest. And there's a right. lot of turbulence all the time. So I'm constantly being pushed upwards and downwards. Um, and, like, I just don't go straight for most of the time. Uh, Rami, right. have you... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to ask Rami, like, you know, he's clearly very interested in flight simulator, knows a lot about planes. Have you considered, you know, learning it? Yeah, yeah, no, the I, same did. Question. <laughs> I, I did. I did. Uh, in uh, in uh, the early 2010s, I was doing practice for a license, but I never oh. finished because I couldn't afford it as like a what, 19 year old. Oh, fair. Uh, enough, so I could only I could only do a training like once every few like more than a month. It was usually like a month, month and a half uh, before I could do another flight. And then Flambeer, my game studio, took off, and I just mm. didn't have time to finish. So <laughs> took off without uh, you having a pilot yeah. license, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, uh, so you didn't need a license for that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Lucky you didn't crash. <laughs> right. So the um, the um, I actually hoped when when sort of COVID was taking off that I'd be able to kick it back up again and and do it now. Yeah. But then they stopped taking new students immediately when COVID started. Oh, that's a shame. Because so, like, you know, a good I, friend of mine got his license uh, maybe a year or two before he hit his 40th birthday. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, he started, you know, not as a young buck at 19, for sure. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I... And like, you know, it, it takes me on flights sometimes here in the city. Right. And it's been pretty, pretty dope. So like, you know, as you talk about uh, flight simulator, you know, I think of him and the stuff he showed me on in, in, on the plane that he was flying. Because he's flying like, you know, those smaller size stuff. Yeah, Cessna probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so like, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're saying just resonates because of what he was saying to me right. on the flight. Yeah, that was fun. Did you, did you did your airplane have the wings above or below you? Uh, on my on the side, <laughs> below, oh, just next below me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's uh, you. A lot of people fly the the, the Cessna model, which uh-huh. is or one of the Cessna models, and they they traditionally have fly, uh, wings above. And it's funny because that's actually a real problem during flight if you're flying something called a pattern, which I tried, uh, which I taught us some as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, if you fly a pattern, you, you need to sort of be aware of what's above and beneath you. And it can actually be dangerous if you have two people flying planes with the wings at the different end. 
Oh. Okay. So if one person is flying with the wings above and one person is flying with the wings under them, they can't see each other. Ah. Which is kind of a problem. So <laughs> it was one of those awesome. things. It was one of those things that, you know, like I used to think that the world is a lot more complex than it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> because when we were on the plane, I was like, so you must have some kind of like, you know, sophisticated device um, that tells you where the <laughs> where the other planes are and stuff like nope. that. And he was like, no, you just look at the windshield and if you see a yep. plane, you try to avoid it. I was like, right. okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I think a lot of, and, and that's VFR, right? Like uh, visual flight rules. So you, you fly by eye effectively. And uh, there's a bunch of stuff you need to know about like radio and about like how maps work to make sure that you can fly that way properly. Yeah. Uh, and the way you land is doing those circuits that, that I was uh, talking about just earlier. So there's sort of like a rule of how to fly to an airport. <laughs> um, but beyond that, it's mostly like, yeah, let's let's just make sure that we talk to each other and that we don't hit other airplanes. They're kind of small. The <laughs> air is kind of big. <laughs> so it's generally possible to avoid it. But you really have to pay attention. Yeah. It was uh, quite an experience because he gave me the, uh, you know, the stick and he was like, you know, don't right. go too strong, just tilt it a little right. bit. And like, you know, the feeling of actually moving the plane around was was pretty cool. Nerve wracking, right. but cool. Yeah, it's you, funny because you all know that like airplanes, when they first started being used in war, they were just reconnaissance. And the first time they were used in war in combat, um, you had two pilots and one of them would actually shoot uh, a gun, a physical gun <laughs> at the other pilots from the other <laughs> side. Like that was how it started before they mounted mini guns and, you know, became actually weapons of war. That's like some uh, GTA I, stuff. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone full 360 on and, that one. And this, and, this is, and this is how the Ronde Zoo got inspired. <laughs> one, guy, one guy did a looping and the guy in the back in the back was like, no, I don't have my seatbelt. <laughs> Which button then, is the seatbelt? Which no. button is the eject? Oops. <laughs> but yeah, no, teach, so teaching sort of like the basics is really fun because obviously... I, I don't know. I like teaching people stuff. It's just a thing that I enjoy. I do it in Destiny. You're I do good it in Flight it. Simulator. You're I very it, patient. I, like, I was messing up like crazy. And you're like, oh, yeah, you crashed. It's fine. Let's start over. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do that again. <laughs> yeah. Um, we just wasted 20 minutes. I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> well, but also, you learned for 20 minutes. Yes. So, like, we're making progress, right? Yes. I mean, it, it didn't end well, but... <laughs> You have to rub it in. I was waiting right. for that. <laughs> but this is why but, he's patient because he gets yes. to rub it in later. Yeah. <laughs> That's the but at the off. same time, if if you crash after twenty minutes, you didn't crash for twenty minutes. So I would call that a great success. You're right. right? I, I was not crashing for ninety five percent of the time. Right. <laughs> so in in general, I think it it all went really well. Like it, and the circuit, we need to teach you to put a little more distance between you and the runway before you make your <laughs> final turns. Because yes. Osama ends up doing like a, a like hundred eighty degree turn in that airplane, like somehow. <laughs> um, which is not great for lining up for the runway, uh, especially not if you don't know how to control the airplane fully yet. But beyond that, he's taking off, he's landing, he's flying, he's turning on autopilot if he has the time between stalls. And, you know. It, <laughs> oh, man. This is very encouraging. You know, the, the, uh, there's no better motivator than to rub it in your face when I finally get it right, right? <laughs> it has got to be great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's been it's been good. And just flying wonderful places. Like there's one yeah. airport that I really like where Osama and I flew a bit called Serena Station. 
Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. uh, it's basically a runway on it's just like a beach with a giant forest and they just cut a runway out of the forest. It's so beautiful. And that's it. Yeah. It's like you take off between trees and then suddenly you're over the beach and before you know it you're over the water and that's it. And you just set it to, you know, you set it to like sunset times, you just take off, you just fly a few circles and you land back before the sun goes down too far and you can't see the runway anymore because there's no light. <laughs> And that's kind of it. It's yeah. great. And you if you miss, 10, it's fine. You just get a little wet. It's not a big deal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably don't miss. There's don't a lot miss. of trees. Yeah. <laughs> those, those aren't built for tree impact. Nope. Um, but yeah, it's been fun. And just doing lots of like fun flights, like trying new places to fly from. The Lukla uh, approach from Everest was really, really fun. Yes. It's just beautiful on all sides. Just... We have to try that again because I don't right. want to, like, I don't want my only attempt at that to be a failure. I mean, honestly, if your only attempt at that was a success, you could just quit Flight Simulator and just retire. <laughs> like, that's, you, sh- you should not make that landing. That's the point of that landing. Yeah. It's, it, it's really hard. You have to get all your variables right. Uh, and even then, it's like, a tricky landing. I love yeah. that you showed it to me second. You're right. like, okay, you 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 landed your first time. Good, good. This is what you have to aim for. <laughs> yeah, you I know? mean, and yeah. it's kind of a teaching strategy that I learned. It's like, okay, let's let's show people that they can do it. Yes, which is important, right? Because if you if you show people something that is immediately impossible, it's not good enough. But I, I kind of believe that after you've shown people that they can do something, you should show them that there's a lot to learn. Exactly, a hundred percent. And I don't know. I've always kind of kept that teaching style from I don't know where I, where I was taught it, but I I always just kind of kept that, and I always appreciated it, and it always worked for me. So, yeah, it's uh, brilliant. It's I have a good time with it. Uh, plus, I get to watch you like almost make it, which <laughs> honestly, I was very impressed that you got that far. Well, thank you. I, I'm super happy that to hear that because when I failed, oh my god, like my heart sank. Let, let's put <laughs> like, it. No. Let's put it this way. I had I did something called Twitch Flies Flight Simulator, where I made the chat of my Twitch channel control the airplane. Oh no! <laughs> right, and. Oh. There, um, I uh, eventually they learned to land an airplane, okay, which wow. was incredible. That yeah. took like 40 or 50 tries. Wow, we just cho- took off at a random airport, flew around a bit, and then landed. We fell like a little short of the runway, but you know, it, the airplane still landed, it didn't explode or anything. And then later on, as the chat got better, I decided to make them do the biggest achievement flight in Flight Simulator. Which is there's a flight from Bordeaux to Seattle, and Bordeaux is where Asobo is, and Seattle is where Microsoft is. So that was the flight that the team had to do as they were developing the game, mm-hmm. and they put that in the game as a achievement. Hmm. Oh wow, that's amazing! Wow, it's a nine and a half hour flight. Yeah. <laughs> so you take off, you set it to autopilot, and you go. And then after nine hours, you know, you check back if nothing is on fire. After nine hours, you land the airplane, and you're done. Right, a flight simulator is an odd game. <laughs> so I thought, what if I don't turn on autopilot and I just let Twitch fly it? And Twitch flew the airplane through trolls. Through it, it failed like three, two or three times. But mm. through trolls, through people trying to crash the airplane, through people like trying to like stall the airplane or like uh, you know let the gear down mid-flight. Um, eventually, we made it to Seattle. We were on the approach. And right before landing, uh, I got nervous 
and I accidentally made a typo, and I set the engines to minus 25% thrust. Oh, no. Which is reverse thrust. So about 75 meters from the runway, we, we crashed. Oh, no. <laughs> after oh. nine and a half hour flight. Oh, no. Your, your landing was at Lukla is effectively that. You got it all the way right, despite the turbulence, like navigating the valleys, the mountains, all of that. And then you just I didn't make it the to end. the runway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of physics going on in that landing. It's really hard. So, you know, the fact that you got there is honestly super impressive. The same way Twitch getting to Seattle was really impressive. It's really sad to see the little crash mark like 25 yeah. feet from the runway, but... You know, the journey there is is honestly as impressive. So I really hope that your Twitch stream is not a metaphor for humanity. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get really close and at the very end, you know. I mean, so the next attempt, they actually did land it. Yeah. Okay, so Twitch succeeded a nine and a half hour flight purely through chat uh, with That's no amazing. autopilot, which was incredible. Your move, Osama. Uh, Your move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it but i'm not ready for my second attempt yet i want i want to no. succeed my second attempt look is really hard there's a really fun uh 747 landing at an airport uh, airport called paro as well which is probably the hardest 747 landing i can think of oh so as soon as you have a bit more control of the of the jetliners uh we'll we'll go there sometime i'm excited about that and fauzi you're hearing all this and you, you're not interested in joining us like we can uh, do it at three I, dude i would love to my time is kind of nuts but yeah, <laughs> I, can, I can imagine whenever i can find something that can match your guys's time time zone even though right. rami is technically within my time zone but yeah, he's not really <laughs> he is physically within my time zone but his menta- mentally he's in yours yeah i'm an ephemeral creature i'm just awake whenever once somebody wants to play flight simulator like no worry like, yes and you're ready for the podcast a day in advance which is amazing right yeah. oh my god <laughs> that's so funny i woke up yesterday and i was like oh my god in it's three plus four i'm like <laughs> ran to my computer i sit down i open discord i'm like i'm awake i'm awake and then i look at like why aren't you here and i look at the day i'm like wait oh it's saturday isn't it um yeah i that was wild i really i woke up in like a panic i'm like oh no i need to do this oh that's so funny yeah i've I've done exactly that before didn't even have tea oh no you can't podcast without tea you can't do the podcast without tea man speaking of which i actually met Oh, man, what are they called? I think they're called the Grand Dames. Uh, it's another, what? it's kind There's of another. A type of dog? <laughs> no, Dames, not Danes. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, so the Grand Dames and their grandmothers who play and review or discuss video games. And okay. they also do it while drinking tea. So we have competition, boys. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, look them I mean, up. We don't have games. competition. We don't have competition. They're better than they, us. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. yeah. We, I, I bet we have gold. <laughs> we, is what I meant. <laughs> this is like if we are still doing this podcast in thirty years, <laughs> then we'll be. <laughs> then we'll be even. Yes, but they otherwise, were really lovely too. And right. uh, honestly, we should do one day. We should do some kind of a joint team party <laughs> event with the grand teams. I'm just putting I mean, it out there. That sounds great. Us in 30 years, it's like three game developers measuring their diabetes. (laughs) (laughs) 
and drinking Arab and drink tea. Arab tea. Which, I mean, for me, for me, it's not going to be diabetes. For me, it's going to be high blood pressure. I don't know. This is like the most Arab thing. It's in the, the Arab thing. It's either it's yes. either blood pressure or diabetes or both. Those like, are two options. Cholesterol is not far behind. Let's be honest. Right, cholesterol <laughs> happens. Heart heart stuff, but like the heart stuff, you know, it's not. It's not a thing that like affects your day to day as much. Yeah. I think like yeah. so. Yeah. It's one of those four, and then we just kind of like roll the dice. I think for me, it's going to be the blood pressure. You know, we, sh- we should open up a pool and take bets. No, let's right. not do that. Yeah. <laughs> I said but it as know, a like, joke, but even then it sounded too dark. Yeah. But you know, like, you know, looking at Middle Eastern desserts, you kind of understand why diabetes yeah. is, a, is a problem. I mean, like, yeah. seriously. It's like, take anything and, you know, put 10 times more syrup than you would ever imagine you would need. I just got a gift of uh, Bal Hashem yesterday. Uh, oh, oh but great gifts. Uh, a family member got back from Egypt yesterday and brought a um, a large just jug of fresh mango juice. Oh, I love mango. You know, like Ooh, frozen I love solid that stuff. Mm. Frozen solid when they left, and by the time they it arrived in my fridge, it was already like starting Drinkable. to turn back into like water, like a juice again. Awesome. Uh, so I have a giant jug of mango juice sitting in my, f- and I, I have to admit, I thought of swapping out my tea for for the mango juice, uh, but Egyptian mango juice is just. Mm, mm. So we have a few stores here actually um, that import uh, different Arabic drinks and foods. Um, we're we're lucky in Montreal because we have a lot of areas that have high concentration of um, of uh, Arabs. So we have nice. multiple what you would call uh, Arab towns. Um, uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. And one of them is like Little Maghrib that's not too far from my house. And there's another one um, that is mostly has Lebanese and Syrian people close to Saint Laurent. Um, and there's a high concentration of Iraqis close to NDG. That's actually where I grew up in Montreal. And all of them, like what you, we have pretty strict language laws. In, in Quebec where, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like My people God. who know, they know. So when I say we have Arab signage, uh, it's always second place to the French. Like as a rule, we have to have bigger signs in French. And there's a history and a precedent and, and real reasons for that historically that I'm not going to go into. Uh, but the Arab signage in, in these areas will be second. And that's a big deal. That's a really right. big deal for, <laughs> for a place with such language laws. Um, right. Do you both have any any experiences like that like do your countries have arab towns as well yeah man it's it's, it's funny that you mentioned it um <laughs> just like you know um i think it's on the same day that we did the live episode after work i wanted to go for dinner and uh, a friend of the show uh, who actually lives in stockholm was like come i'll show you the arab town in in the city i've never been to be honest Oh. <laughs> and then like you know as soon as i step out of the the train station it's the music you're like doom, doom, taka, taka, doom, taka, taka. like oh what's going on it's just i just stepped foot out of um, out of the train station it's just loud music there's kids running around everywhere and um you know like across the road from the train station there's the dude that's beating um ice cream with the stick you know the serious style and if, if yes. you guys have ever seen this <laughs> you know, like you're making like making ice cream by beating it with a giant stick, and then there's like you know the 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 staple three old dudes of any Arab town. There'd be like uh, two dudes, like you know, like old men, uh, walking like pacing around with their hand tied behind their back. They're wearing right. their finest suit and they're holding right. like a rose bead. 
you know, <laughs> yep. as they're walking by. The third guy is also an old man who is still in his bathrobe and he's wearing, <laughs> clearly wearing his wife's flip-flops. Like they're, right. they're like they're like pink and they're like plastic, <laughs> and the three of them are walking by talking politics very very loudly, and that's when I like yep. realized like oh my god I'm definitely in Arab town, right. <laughs> and I started walking around and like all the signs are in Arabic, so like you know the 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 place I immediately stepped out of the train station for I looked at it's called Al Bayt al Dimashqi, and they're selling like all sorts of um, Arab desserts. I stepped mm. in man I had kanafa. Um, I had like, you know, some Arabic coffee and then I nice. bought like, I think half a kilo of halawa jibde, um, like, you know, that's cheese <laughs> nice. dessert. Yeah. Mm, so good. Oh, that sounds I, incredible. The, the other thing I got back from Egypt was, uh, Bar Hashem, which mm. just be, it made me think, it made me think because Osama was saying like just too much syrup, but it's basically just like a dry sort of semolina type of cake thing uh-huh. with just like honey poured over it for like days. <laughs> In the shape of a date. Yeah. That's it. Wow. It's like ridiculous. And then the fried a little. It's... <laughs> Why not? Right. <laughs> At that in, in Egypt, we have them a lot. And I used to love them as a kid. We don't really have an Arab town in the Netherlands. Uh, not that I know of. I mean, we have definitely we have sort of like Arab neighborhoods or, or neighborhoods where the Arabs are, are more common. Mm-hmm. But I don't I can't really think of like something that culturally defines itself as Arab. Maybe the large cities have. Right, like yeah. maybe Amsterdam has it, or Rotterdam, or The Hague, or. Um, but I feel like the 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 sort of like Arab diaspora in the Netherlands, they 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 cluster, but they don't. They're not as loud about it. I think. Oh, I see. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure why. No, I also in, have to admit, like Montreal, they're extremely, we're extremely loud about it. Like if you right. have a park that's near one of these Arab neighborhoods, especially Little Maghreb. And you go near the park. I don't know what it is about us Arabs and why we gravitate towards the park. But you'll see people bringing chairs and tables into the park and playing cards. Like it looks like a giant cafe on grass. It's like that, and it's loud, and everyone's talking. It's it's, you know everyone's welcome. It's not just Arabs who go there, of course. Right. But like it's you can clearly see that there are tons of of Arabs, and they all just come out and they take up a lot of space. And it's a beautiful thing, honestly. Right. Yeah, so we we don't really have that here. And the other thing that I always notice when it when it comes to uh, when it comes to sort of like the Arab diaspora is, it seems a lot of the the Arabs like cluster together. Well, I don't think the Egyptians tend to. Hmm. It's really odd, but you you can always sort of find like the Lebanese. You can always find the Syrian. You can always find the Iraqi, uh, hmm. but Egyptian. Like the Egyptian is usually making shawarma somewhere, <laughs> right? Like, be let's honest, be honest. Like ninety percent of the Egyptians open a shawarma joint here. That's not that wasn't my experience. My experience right. here is like uh, many, and I've uh, I've spoken to you about a few, but many of my friends growing up were Egyptian. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe it's it's different from country to country, but here, uh, like we all stuck together, and I'm not. It's not even right. like. Well, we're not even talking about just Arabs. Like, I have a whole bunch of friends who are uh, just brown, you know, just like right. um, Pakistani. Or I, I speak a little bit of Urdu. I understand a little bit of Urdu just because of how many friends I had. Um, so I guess it depends on the size of the community. Because what I found is when the community becomes really, really big, it's easier to find people just your uh, right. ethnicity. And then maybe you branch off at that point. But I've been here for a long time. And the communities, when I was here at the beginning, were really, really small. So I, I would be interested to know if you ask a, a, a 20-year-old Iraqi instead of a 40-year-old Iraqi as myself, 
do do they make do they still mix now that the communities right. have had another generation to grow? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I always knew a few Egyptians in the Netherlands, but it was never like um, you know you, we have a really large Moroccan community in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, finding Moroccans was always very easy. If Tur- we have Turkish folks, uh, sort of like uh, same region esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Moroccan and Turkish are sort of like the main uh, Muslim slash brown um, uh, immigrants to the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Egyptians was always pretty rare to find. And every Egyptian I knew had a shawarma joint. So that's <laughs> kind of like my dad was the exception, which was always funny because. I go like, oh, my dad's Egyptian, and other Egyptian kids would go like, "Where's your, da- where's your dad's store?" I'm like, "No, no." Funny thing happened while well, like I'm at this, uh, this place because uh, I, I went into the supermarket in this Arab town, which is like it felt for me very predominantly Syrian and Iraqi, by the way, mm-hmm. from the accents I hear, and I was speaking Arabic the entire time. So I um, mm-hmm. went to the supermarket because I was like, oh, since I'm here, I'm gonna buy a whole lot of ingredients to make all sorts of food. And I walk in and like, you know, it's a supermarket on one side and they have like all these like, you know, cheeses and McDo's and all like this delicious stuff that I bought a whole lot of. <laughs> and on the other side, it's a spice shop. We have all these spices in the sacks. Mm. You guys know what that's like, right? Yes, yep, so like, absolutely. It's been a while since I've seen like all these sacks stacked into, next to each other, like in a supermarket. Mm-hmm. So I'm standing there taking a photo of it because I wanted to post it on uh, on our Discord. <laughs> and then the dude comes over and like, why are you taking a picture of the of the spices for? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I haven't seen this site in a while, so it's kind of making me nostalgic. And he's like, okay, in Arabic. Okay, show me the photo. So I show him the photo that I took. And he like immediately, like the Arab thing, he immediately wants to one-up me. He's like, yeah, he wants to take a better photo. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. See my phone? See the camera on my phone? It's way better. Let me take a photo for you. And he just goes ahead and takes a photo of the of the spices, and he goes, in, "Give me a number. I'll send you the photo of the spices." Yeah. <laughs> and I give him my number, and the dude like not even WhatsApps the photo. He sends it to me as a message. Right. When was the last time you sent the photo as a, like a text SMS, man? I mean, to be fair, that has never been possible in the Netherlands. Our SMS uh, never supported images. So it, the answer is never in my case. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost yeah. close to never in my case as well. And I looked at that guy and like, I'm also Arab, man. Like, I can't just take yeah. it. So like, I look at the photo and go like, your camera is better, but I have better framing. <laughs> 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 yep. Yep. Needs to happen. Needs to happen. You, <laughs> can't, just let, you can't just let that slide. No, I can't let him one up me and just sit there and no. take it. No. No, and then just take uh, accept the photo. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ain't happening. It's okay, photo. I'll I'll post yeah. both photos. <laughs> I'll post both photos on the Discord and then we'll let yeah, people decide. Yeah, don't let decide. us know which one is which. Yeah, exactly. You guys All you right. guys say which is the better fra- uh, right. framing and camera. When this episode is out, it'll it'll end up in the Discord. <laughs> we'll vote for it. I love it. Oh my god, that sounds great. Yeah, no, I, I I would love to go to a place like that. We in the Netherlands, we have this uh, we have this black market, uh, Beverwijk. It's what it's called. That has a relatively large uh, Arab uh, population. Wait, what do you mean by black market? So it's technically it's a tolerated market where the Tax rules don't really apply. Okay. It's all under it's all underhand. So it's like a flea market because black market to me it means like explicitly illicit. Yeah. Uh, so buying illegal stuff. Yes. Technically, it just literally means that there's no record of what is bought or sold. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh-huh. Right. That that's the official meaning of a black market. A hagless paradise. Yeah. It's all the books. And that's exactly what it is. It's a hagless paradise. A lot of the stuff you can buy there is not technically copyright proof. Yeah. Uh yeah. you know, there, there and and you there's not really taxes on purchases, right? Yeah. You just pay for the thing and you buy it and it's sort of like accepted as a tourist destination. Yeah. So we just kind of leave it. This is where you can uh, go and get your Abibas uh, flip flops. Right, your Abibas, <laughs> your, your, your Vodafone, yeah, your Nokis. Your Nokis. <laughs> your, <Exactly. laughs> your Polystations, yeah. your Nintendos, your yeah. satellite receivers, your illegal decoders for, for the satellite. For us, like, for the longest time, that was our Chinatown. They've cracked right. down on it sadly in, in the last few years mm-hmm. but before that was where you'd like oh you want a movie where well, here's one with you know the the picture like right. posted on and here's one with just me writing with the marker that's a dollar cheaper which one do you want that right. kind of thing yeah the 480p dvd rip exactly on it burned onto a disc <laughs> exactly with, like uh, but uh and the illegal the illegal satellite receivers are my favorite thing because my dad <laughs> my dad buys a different one every six months and he's like this one I was at I was at the market, and this one is much better according to the guy that I bought it from. I'm like, did you tell him which one you have? He's like, no. He just told me this is better. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> better you get, how do you believe? How do you believe this man if he doesn't know which one you have? He's like, he said this is the best of the best. Best of the best. And, and I installed the thing, and it's it's just a different box with the same Android like based OS oh, on it, no. doing the exact same thing. So my dad just keeps buying new satellite receivers every six months, and it's every. It's not even a satellite receiver at this point. It's like an overland kind of thing. Okay, my oh, wow. question is, what's wrong with the one that he has that he wants something better? Is Nothing. It... He just he just one-upping himself. Osama, <laughs> Osama it's, it's an easy one. Like This one gives you 250 channels of languages you don't understand. Right. The other one gives you 300. It's easy. Of course I want the Greek channels. Right. Why would yeah, Who would have want the Greek channels? <laughs> So yeah, the, I, I end up installing a new one of those every six months, uh, which is great. But it's it's a great market, and it has always been the one place in the Netherlands that felt, even though it's not an Arab place, it felt like it has sort of a an Arab culture to it, mm-hmm. right? Because you're running around, you're looking at the thing you want, then your like your dad like gives you a like slap on the back of your head, and it's like, don't look at the thing you want. It's like, oh, yeah. oh sorry, sorry. Um, it just you know good foods. Everything smells great. There's like smell of spices. There's a smell of like uh, tea. There's smell of like f- food. Uh, people are yelling at each other in the <laughs> background somewhere, um, and you can't tell whether they're fighting or just happy. Yeah. Um, everybody's negotiating about everything. They're like, both. It, it feels <laughs> great. <laughs> they're both yeah, they're fighting both, right? and yeah. happy. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're happy they're, because they're fighting. <laughs> right. They're happily disagreeing about the price of a thing. In Berlin, there was Which, also I, a very sizable, um, like Arab town part of uh, town, and like you had, they had like all of these things to just talk about. You know, the the shawarma joints, the restaurants, mm-hmm. the supermarkets, and of course the coffee shops with like outdoor mm-hmm. seating, shishas, and football. There's always a football match, and there's a group of people watching football, and they're you know they're discussing which is the best football, even right. though like you know off season Olympics, <laughs> if it's right. football, it's showing in an Arab cafe somewhere. There's a group of right. people watching it. Well, watch the B classes. It doesn't matter as <laughs> no. long as there's a ball going around. Actually, there's something like you know come to think about it, something very interesting about um, the Berlin uh, version of Arab Town. Because Berlin is like, you know, this, um, you know, hip alternative uh, city. Mm-hmm. Like, it, gravita- it gravitates a lot of, like, um, 
uh, artistic types and um, and hipsters and like you know IT people like it's a it's a mishmash it's a giant city very cultural and all of that uh, mm-hmm. originally like in the east side of berlin is where a lot of like you know the minorities used to live so like the east side of berlin is where like the ethnic food started emerging and right. therefore because it was also like you know the cheap part of town so like they all lived there and then like you know ethnic food started to be found there and then it became the party uh part of town because that's where everybody right. wanted to live where like yeah. where, where where everything is happening to the point that so many like you know people uh, moved there to the point that it became very expensive so the right. minorities started to go elsewhere they went hmm. to basically and that's when the refugees also and like you know other people coming they all went to arab town uh, hmm. which is neukölln in uh, in the south of berlin so that became like you know the you know where the, a lot of the ethnic food started emerging and all of this and then soon the artists and the hipster types and everybody else followed hmm. and now it's a very interesting contrast because it became also a party uh, a party center so so you can sometimes see like a group of people queuing for a shawarma at 3 a.m. And they're like all in like, you know, Berlin style party outfits. <laughs> so like the, there's like like a very interesting contrast that's happening because of that. I think uh, no other city in the world would have something like that. And that, you know, sharp context that is very noticeable as in Berlin. So I find that very, very interesting. OK, right. so there's two communities I wanted to talk to you about right now that you just like sparked uh, mm-hmm. in, in my head. So the Go first is what I found is really interesting is that Toronto particularly had a lot of communities um, or like a lot of uh, areas that were the merger of two communities that you wouldn't normally expect. Like the one that I saw the biggest um, contrast in was the area with ha- which has the most Persians also has the most Koreans. And you oh. see a street with Korean and Persian signs back to back over and over. You wow. can Google like those images, like Toronto, Korean, and and. But it, this is common. Like you'll 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 go to a place and it'll be like, um, uh, I'm trying to remember another one. I want to be accurate, but it's like you know Haitian and and Chinese or something like that. And it's just like mm. this in this area is both these places, like the, both yeah. both these people, uh, in in big numbers. The second is. The biggest Arab community that I've seen in a Western area is actually in uh, Michigan, in close to Detroit. Mm-hmm. It was like, if you don't know where you are and you turn around, you really believe you're in Arab country. Every single sign was Arabic for um, like blocks and blocks and blocks. A lot of people were Arabs. That that was the biggest uh, community. It's called, it's the, the place is called Dearborn. It's not too far from Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, if you Google Dearborn, Michigan, you'll see it's like they took over that, that area. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a lot of the um, a lot of the new uh, politicians that are coming from the states that are of Arab descent are often from Dearborn or live in Dearborn because oh, like, wow. that's how big it is. Yeah. So th- those two, if you ever have a chance to experience that, th- those two things are those two places are, are unique, in my opinion, Tor- like the, the communities in Toronto that are like the fusion uh, of two different communities and uh, Dearborn specifically. That's super cool, man. Because like, you know, like uh, coming uh, like in in Europe, um, I think this is becoming a little bit more common than what it used to be. Like, I don't think it was the same as the States or Canada in terms of like, you know, there's larger communities of a lot of different uh, Arab uh, minorities coming. I think just because of the influx of Arabs that uh, came into Europe over the past five years. 
But like uh, when I was in Japan, for example, getting like Arab food, Arab ingredients was so difficult. Like, you yeah, know, I, can I knew of like two Arab, like Arab restaurants uh, around Tokyo. One of them was in Yokohama. Like I had to like wow. uh, travel for 45 minutes to like really get some Arab food uh, in Japan. So like, uh, and in New Zealand, there wasn't also that much. I think there was uh, a lot of other minorities from Asian descent. Uh, within New Zealand, but like uh, not that much, like you know, Arab community. So like I've also like only found like one restaurant in Auckland that I used to go to for like Arab food and stuff of the like. Uh, so it's kind of like you know cool to see that uh, uh, Arab communities are quite at a large scale in, uh, in 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 different cities here in Europe, and like you can go there and get some some ingredients and some stuff that I kind of like really miss. Uh, are they harder to come by, but they're actually easy to get to. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. I, I, I'm wondering if this is some, going to be a, a trend in some in countries like Japan, and you're going to see more and more of them uh, in recent time. Is there anything like stopping it from from being more widespread, like in other areas? I just think it's like you know the the number of uh, you know the the population. I guess there's not that many right. Arabs in Japan. Uh, yeah. Like there's a lot of you know like there's a Koreatown or a Chinatown in in Tokyo. Do, did you ever see that video of the Japanese ambassador to an Arab? I forgot which Arab country. He spoke. He spoke Arabic with a Japanese accent. Yes, yes, I see that on Twitter. I think. Whoa, I got it was that. the wildest thing because yeah. you know I'm used to our accent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not used to other accents. I'm not used to like hearing Arabic spoken with like a Japanese like. Uh, what was it? It was the it was the cadence that was very Japanese. Yes, yeah. right. The, it didn't the sound emphasis, like Arabic. the phrasing, right? Uh, I was just like, wow, <laughs> I had not, I had not, because I feel like you know we we're used to, we're very used to talking about the discussion of how does an Arab integrate into another society. We're not really used to the discussion of how does somebody else integrate into Arab society. Yeah, that's true, right? So that was just it was mind blowing to me. I was like, wow, there was okay. A- this is cool. There was a, a Japanese author that uh, spent 40 years in the Arab world, mm-hmm. uh, speaks fluent, uh, fluent Arabic, uh, lived in uh, the Levant, he lived in Egypt for quite some time, and then he ended up uh, writing a book in Arabic called um, An Arab from a Japanese Point of View. Arabs from a wow. Japanese Point of View. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder uh, and it's fascinating to read. Uh, Matohoro Nagai, I think is his name. Let me uh, let me look it up to make sure that I'm not. Yeah. I'm not erroneous. <clears throat> Sorry, no, it's uh, Nobuaki Notohara is his name. Nobuaki Notohara. Yeah. Okay. He wrote cool. like a book in Arabic. It's like 150 pages. I uh, don't think it's ever been translated to English. It's just uh, um, it's just in Arabic, and it's yeah. It just describes um, you know what, how Arabs think. <laughs> and I find it fascinating that you know his tech is it's in Arabic, so it's pointed back to the Arabs, not to the Japanese. Right. So it's trying to tell them like this is how you guys appear to somebody that's not one of you. <laughs> right. That sounds fun. It's, I want to read that. It's fascinating. I I highly recommend it. I think I might yeah, have a sure. might have a copy somewhere. I send it over to you, man. Yeah. Well, or, or just give me the name. I'll buy it. Yeah, like, yeah. I want that. I want to read that and then put it in my book cabinet to point out. We'll do for sure. It's a good story. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm very curious what they have to say. Right. 
I mean, I've heard Arab with a French accent a lot. Yes. Because yeah. yes. the, the languages mix in places and like obviously Montreal exists. Yes. Uh, but France also like Maghreb exists. Exactly. France yeah. exists. So. Um, this is also yeah, like... Other languages. What is the Arabic with a German accent sound? <laughs> <laughs> I think pretty sure you'll be able to hear a lot of that actually. <laughs> yeah. And my, my friend Ahmed is uh, Arab living in Germany. Maybe I'll ask him. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But did his Arabic change or does this German so. have an Arabic accent? No, but imagine that there's like a bunch of kids that'll be born, you know, to Arab right. parents there or something like that. So um, there'll be I'm some curious. some kind of accent coming out of right. which actually reminds me, like, one of the things I've, I've did I've did over the past couple of days is that uh, maybe it's another book recommendation. This one's a graphic novel for um, Osama since he loves comics. I too. Um, this is a book called The Arab of the Future. Uh, let me because I need to make sure of what it is in English. I'm reading it in German uh, because they're faster the translation. So uh, uh, <laughs> it's um, uh, I need 75 extra pages. But <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the speech bubbles just bleed out right. always. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's by a guy called Riyad Satouf. Um, he's uh, French Syrian. And he's, uh, it's, it's a memoir in graphic novel format. It's called The Arab of the Future. Oh. Uh, five volumes have been released of this so far. Uh, it's not finished yet. So uh, I'm up to date with this 2021. It's 160 pages for every volume almost. For me, it's fascinating because um, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's, it's talking about himself. So it's autobiographical. It's Riyadh himself. Talking about his parents. His dad was Syrian and his mom was French. And then um, uh, his dad was a university professor and he convinced the family to move that, you know, he wanted to live uh, back in Arab world again. So, you know, he drags the family back and they live in uh, Libya, Syria yeah. and Saudi Arabia. Wow. And, um, you know, um, and uh, the, the wife and the kids along with them. Um fascinating. You know, if you've lived or... now and they're like provocative. I'm actually really curious to see what the rest of the graphic novel yeah. is. I'm adding it to my list. I'm really grateful. It's super good, man. I really enjoyed it. I think there's an English translation. Uh, so, like, I read the first one in German and the three of them in English. But then, like, the fifth version, they still haven't translated that to English yet. And I couldn't wait. So, I just got the German wow. uh, version and read that. Uh, yeah, it's 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 great. Uh, I recommend it. Um, yeah, some parts can be uh, tough to read sometimes, but I think it's uh, it's thought provoking. It, I can't find it on Comixology, yeah. so I think I'm going to have to order a physical copy. It's inter it's interesting because this kind of thing, this sort of like honest exploration of like the problems and the issues that exist in Arab society, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I think they're very important to have, but. The, the discomfort I always end up having is that there's not a lot of good yeah. examples of yeah. our society that are, like, lifted up as big as this one. Because I'm looking at, like, the critical reception, and there's, like, incredibly well-received, right? New York Times described it as ex exquisitely illustrated and filled with experience of misfortune bordering on the farcical. Mm -hmm. Like, no, that's just an Arab's life. Yeah. What are you talking yeah. about? This is not this farcical. Is, this is just what life is like. Is yeah. Like, come on. Uh disquieting yet essential read and i think for a lot of us seeing that sort of stuff is it it feels familiar right yeah it's like the same reason we laugh about the the ship ship 
or about like some of the stuff in our past where you're like, that's actually a little messed up. <laughs> but we laugh about it because it's it's one of the few things that we get to like bond over that is just sort of like ours that hasn't been like warped by outside society as like a bad thing. And I was talking about this the other day on the um, on the episode uh, two weeks ago yeah. um, about representation is that. It seems that the examples of Arab representation that really get lifted up in in the global mind are the examples of liberation from Islam or liberation from the Arab world or like, you know, self-actualization in uh, an oppressive society. Those are the stories that people want to hear. The stories of like the hijab coming of. And it makes it sad that these very honest stories, these very personal stories end up falling in that camp a little, even though they're genuine and they're, they're real. Because we don't get to tell the good stories. Yeah. We don't get to tell the stories of like Aid yeah. or like, you know, like just a, a good life in the Arab world. Yeah. Like all the literary sort of like tradition uh, that made it here is like the Cairo trilogy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and, and this. Um, and you're just like, why, why, why are these the things that keep getting lifted up into the into the eye yeah i mean it looks gorgeous i'm absolutely going to read it mm-hmm. uh because it, it looks incredible yeah uh and it seems very genuine right it, like as i'm sort of like reading over this 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 seems like it's a honest. real 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 thing yeah. like yeah. smell is also vividly represented throughout the novel i'm like yep that sounds about right <laughs> <laughs> like how are you not gonna do that exactly so like i think it's um i w- it's important to have work that celebrates, you know, both parts of reality, mm-hmm. right? Like it uh, presents something that's uh, like full circle, not like one dimensional right. that just um, confirms the zeitgeist. That's like, you know, yeah. where I think closer and autobiographical work. And I believe graphical, uh, graphic novels and these kinds of uh, work has been doing a little bit of a better job of like describing day to day life and struggles compared to like, you know, pop culture is right at the representation. I think this is the stuff that uh, people that work in the pop culture like ourselves is that where we, uh, where we can make a difference. I agree. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I like, again, like I'm, I'm very happy that this exists for people to find familiarity, mm-hmm. right. And to connect with their culture to like, learn a bit of what the history is to learn a bit about like what life was before. And I, I do recommend the Cairo trilogy, even though it is similarly disquieting and like, uh, essential, like uh, the Arab sort of the, the, the reality in Egypt has like a small family. Um, at the same time, I wish I could point to more examples of like, and this is an example of how things in the Arab world are awesome too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just, I can't come up with anything. <laughs> It's not like the book that I would point at and be like, yeah, read that one. That's that's the cool stuff we do. Um, I don't know. Stories always end with like, and then they move to the West. Yeah. <laughs> or they, uh, they, they, betra- they, they liberated themselves from their parents' values. Uh, that, and they, I guess that there are, there's some work like, you know, so there's some graphic novels that I believe that just like describes the situation as is, and there's no liberation from the West. So like, right. um, a good example of that would be a graphic novel by Joe Sacco called Palestine. And mm. there's one by uh, Guy Delizel, I think. I'm, I'm probably, 
I shouldn't pronounce some of those letters. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, he wrote a graphic novel called Jerusalem as well. And those right. are more like um, graphic novels are kind of describing the, the, you know, what they observed as they went through that area and their interviews with, pe- with the people that live there from both sides kind of thing. Right. So they are more like representation of the of the actual situation from their point of view, which is different right. than like, and then they moved somewhere else and right. uh, lived happily ever after. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I and I mean that that sounds amazing. I found that one. I'm I'm ordering it now. Uh, Joe Sacco. Joe Sacco, Palestine. It's pretty good. Yeah. With a foreword by Edward Said. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Let's get that. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I wonder when that's going to happen, right? Because the, the, I do, I do wonder about this every now and then, right? Like we're sitting here doing this podcast and all three of us are, are diaspora really, right? (laughs) And I wonder like what, what opportunities are there for people that are in diaspora to tell their story? That one is a much more complicated question, right? Yeah. Uh, because You've got language barrier, you've got access to opportunity, you've got access to funds, to resources, you've got sort of like the realities of life. And I mean, locally, obviously, there's a lot that gets done, right? It's not like there isn't its own media circle and there isn't its own sort of like Hollywood and awards and and their own things that happen there. And, uh, you know, those are incredible work frequently. Mm -hmm. My dad would complain that the Nobel Prize only hasn't awarded more Arabs with a Nobel Prize for Literature because they don't read Arabic. Yeah, right. Yeah, fair. Um, but the, the the reality is that those voices are rarely, if ever, heard. And whenever they get heard, it usually becomes political really quickly because yeah. they get pushed into that corner. I right? think, um, they get pushed back into that. I think we're, you know, like, um, given the situation in the Middle East, that, like, you know, there's a lot of focus and the successes and the pushes um for like you know individuals to have those stories locally without like you know the <laughs> the traditional move out and you'll get better successes right um is happening in all other um uh, mediums outside of the artistic uh right. to some extent like you know there are big successes happening on a business scale like there's giant um businesses being sold there's successful entrepreneurial companies and then, like, you know, um, there's uh, people finding success um, in the Olympics, for example. There's Olympics medals and all those kind of stuff. There are people right. that are succeeding within their work. And, you know, like, there's uh, movie makers that are not even making Oscar appearances. Like, you know, there was yes. a Jordanian movie that nominated an Oscar and all of this. So uh, the foundation is needed for the artistic movement to really come in full swing. Right. It's kind of like, you know, what an Arab dad would tell you, like, why would you want to be a musician? You should be a doctor or or an engineer first. You got to like, you know, secure yourself from survival in order for you to be able to to express yourself artistically. So like, you know, the the people that make it to to express themselves artistically from that part of the world, those are the ones that are like, you know, uh, above and beyond um, all odds. Right, yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. right, and those are the ones that we end up hearing about. So I think it will take for multiple waves of people that are really succeeding at uh, at business, at construction, at uh, right. at commerce for mm-hmm. the for the Arab artistic wave to kind of come uh, yeah, come flourishing forth quote, as well. Uh, Posty, honestly, that's really smart. Yeah, it'll inshallah. Yeah, it's um, it's it's, uh, it's not a question of if. 
it's when. Right. Yes. It's yeah. it's inevitable. Right. You know, yeah, like is. you cannot stop change, you cannot stop progress. And uh, the chances are like with uh, with internet and all of that stuff, you know, knowledge and information sharing is more access than than ever before. It's right. about, you know, planets aligning and uh, things happening at the right time. So like Right. I'm I'm not, you know, wishing for it. I am waiting for it. Certain. Yeah, you're certain of it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, I think I agree. I um it makes me it makes me happy because uh, like you know there, there's there's a lot of beautiful things there's a lot of incredible people I do a lot of consultancies with small independent developers in the Arab world and you just look at them and you're like there's a lot of talent here right there's a lot of eagerness here people want to make things people want to prove that they can do these things um, and I just can't wait to see that flourish right like it will pay off uh, not for everybody not right now but it it will eventually and I think that's it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, I kind of wonder what the uh, the Arab of the future uh, <laughs> looks like. Right? Same here, man. Like, yeah. seriously, I uh, I can't wait. I uh, I yeah. remember, like, when I uh, when we made our first game as uh, as indie developers, we went to Japan to try to publish it with, uh, you know, because we thought, just make a game and Uncle Nintendo will publish it because that's how it works. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I remember when we uh, ended up, like, you know, having a meeting with the Nintendo team uh, the publishing team at the time, they looked at us and they go like, for us, it was unheard of to see a team that, you know, from the Middle East, we didn't know that you guys even play games, let alone make them. Right. Wow. And they were like, you were make, we were making games based on our culture for, for decades at this point, And we have been like super successful. And like, uh, we look at the West and the West has been making games based on their own culture. And they've been managing to export that as well. But they were like, you guys are coming in from a part of the world that we don't know much about. For mm-hmm. you to be able to uh, to represent your culture in a in a product, that means that you have the the potential to create something that the world has never seen before. Mm-hmm. Right. And like you know, they just they can't. They're so excited because they couldn't imagine what that could be like. Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, no, I, I can't imagine what that's like. Can you show me your games that you made? I would love to play them. The old... <laughs> yeah good old indie games yeah i don't know <laughs> I, games, exactly i <laughs> i do this uh, thought experiment with a lot of people where i go like you know games are, are are they they represent the cultures that they're from whether you want to or not right yeah. like even if they're about other cultures they still represent the cultures that they're yeah, from you're seeing it through a because lens they're a fingerprint, someone, right? right they're a fingerprint of the people that made it and i always ask people like do you think that if games started in the arab world that mario would be running from right to left because that's the direction <laughs> that we read in that's and cool. would it have changed anything? Yeah. And it's a funny thing to think about because maybe it would have, maybe it wouldn't. Like maybe it wouldn't be Mario. I don't know. What would the Arab version of Mario be? Samir. <laughs> Samir. <laughs> Samir right. collecting falafels. That's what I, 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 I thought you were going to go with Marwan, but okay. Samir Marwan works. also <laughs> works. <laughs> but, but, but both work. It's Samir. Samir. Well, I guess it works. Said. It works. Yeah. Said, Said works. Uh, Said works. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. No, so it's an interesting thing to think about. I just, I think there's a lot of cool things. And it's fun when you see, you know, to bring it back to Arab towns for like one more moment. It's really fun to see what an Arab culture looks like when it's, when it has to celebrate its culture. Yeah. To be distinct from what's around it. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I think that's very similar to what Osama was saying about like the French in Quebec being like extremely French, mm-hmm. 
because they're surrounded by not French. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and then in that French, you have like a piece of Arab that is really Arab because it has to be. And I saw that in my dad. In Egypt, he's way more chill about who he is than he is in the Netherlands because in the Netherlands, he's the only one exactly. right? in a lot of conversations. So he, he plays it up a little. Um, well, in the Netherlands, uh, well, in Egypt, he's just he's just him. Yeah. Right? He doesn't need to play anything up because everybody else is like him. Um, and he doesn't have to downplay anything either because everybody else is like him. So it's interesting what that sort of like becomes like. And I'm curious to see that as, you know, time goes forward and everything sort of like changes and the Arab, the Arab people get more opportunity mm -hmm. to speak openly. What that does to, to Arab culture uh, when it's not, it doesn't feel like it's surrounded by things yes. all the time anymore. Under siege right? all the time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I think this is a good spot to end this podcast. I think so too. Yep. Uh, it's got really real. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's really tied really nicely. That's just a very, very fun conversation, you guys. Uh, we should talk about video games sometime. <laughs> <laughs> what are video games? <laughs> what are video games? <laughs> is that the thing where you have an airplane? <laughs> That's right. And that's you, right. And you that's right. We did. We did talk about one video game. Um, <laughs> right. We did. Yeah. So that's check off the mark. Now we can actually talk about the stuff we want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> that's super cool. No, I, I had a lot of fun, uh, guys. Thank you everybody for tuning in and uh, for for joining us on this podcast. We'll see you next week with more of the Habibis. But for the time being, salam. 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 That was the Habibis podcast for this week. I am Fauzi Masmar, your host for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at Fauzi Masmar. My fellow Habibis were Osama Dorias, who you can find on Twitter at Osama Dorias, and Rami Ismail, who you can find on Twitter at THA underscore Rami. Send us your questions, stories, and suggestions via info at thehabibis.com. Intro and outro music was provided by Malik Zubela, and the logo was provided by Ibrahim Hamdi. The Habibis is a weekly podcast about three game developers drinking good Arab tea with new episodes launching every Friday, inshallah. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to your favorite podcasting service or check out thehabibis.com for more information. Thank you for listening. Salam.